Well, if you would open your Bibles to 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, if you're visiting with us or uh, if you haven't been here since we've started, I think this is our, our third or fourth week in our study of the letters of John. So we are in chapter 2 already, and last week we saw that from verse 3 to 6 we learned the apostle was giving us tests. He was showing us evidences by which we can know that we truly are saved. Ways that we can know that we truly know Jesus Christ. And we discussed the test of obedience in verse 3 to verse 6, which says that God's children will obey God's commands and they will walk in the way that, that Jesus walked. They desire to do this. Those who are not saved, who do not know Christ, they are in darkness. They are blind. They won't be doing this. So John continues his thoughts this week as we look at verse 7 to 11 uh, by making things more specific for us. Um, In verse 36, he spoke of obeying Christ's commandments. But today in verse 7 and 11, he, he narrows it down to one commandment in particular. And that's the commandment to love others. So, of course, if Jesus' life, and especially his death, um, epitomizes love, then those who claim to follow him are obligated to live in love. We're obligated to to portray these characteristics of love. And so consider with me this morning the test of love. That is the title of my message this morning, the test of love. So we're going to look specifically from verse 7 to 11. Uh, But let's read from verse 1 so we can remember the context. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's just pray quickly. Father, we ask that you would teach us. I pray, Lord, for your help, especially this morning as we, as we expose this text, as we expound these words. I pray for your help, Lord, and I ask that none of your words would fall to the ground this morning. And we ask, Lord, that you would your spirit would apply these truths so that, Lord, we may live with wisdom and that we would honor you. 
In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. So obviously the topic this morning is how we are to love our brothers. Obviously Christ is the example that he's left for us. And if we call ourselves believers, the test is, are we loving our brothers and sisters in Christ the way that we should? But the word love is, is a word that has lost its meaning, sadly, in our, in our day and age today. It's used in a very loose way, and sometimes the, the meaning is, is lost. Um, one example I was reminded of even with my children. Um, you know, at one time, one day, my, my children would come to me and they'd say, I love you, Daddy. I love you with all of my heart. And it pleases me. It fills me up with much joy. And then within an hour, they would come by and they would say, Dad, I love this chocolate so much. Or I love this, this chicken that you've made, Mom. I love it so much. Um, so it's a, little, it's a little weird being compared to chicken or chocolate, you know. Um, but it, it just explains that that we, we have different definitions of the word love in our day and age. And I think John wants us to understand the real biblical meaning. He wants us to understand that those who have eternal life abiding in them are those who are characterized by a Christ-like love, a biblical love, a love that is sacrificial, not a love that is selfish. And that's really the essence of what John is trying to teach us this morning. So let's get into the text, and I want to look at, at it in, in three lines of thought. And first of all, I want us to see the command of love. We see that in verse 7. And secondly, we see the example of love in verse 8. And then we see the specifics of love um, in verse 9 to 11. So my first point this morning in verse 7 is the command to love. And John begins by speaking of a command that is both old and new. He almost sounds a little contradictory. I'm not writing you a new commandment, but an old one. At the same time, it is a new commandment. So how can we make sense of this, of this statement? What is he trying to say? Well, John is certainly conscious of the, of the audience that is with him at this time. And they are a Jewish audience. Let's not forget that, the context of this. Um, they are converted Jews, Jews that have come to faith in Christ, um, there are Jews that are just nominal, they are listening, and of course there are Jews that are faithfully walking with Christ. And now those were the Jews who knew the Old Testament. Those were Jews that were aware of the teachings of the, the law, especially the prophets that had already been explained to them as children. Remember in the, old, in the Jewish um, traditions, children would learn their ABCs by learning the Psalms. By, by studying Psalm 119. So they were familiar with the, the law. They were familiar with the prophets. In fact, the Ten Commandments had been divided up, and we saw that when we studied it. Um, the first four commandments were divided into the love for God, and the rest of the commandments were divided in our love for our neighbors. So the Jews knew this. But they also knew, of course, um, other scriptures in the book of Leviticus. And in Leviticus chapter 19, the command to love is found there. So it's not a new commandment that Jesus had spoken. This was in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, the scriptures say, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge 
against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's an old commandment, and that's what John has established here. Uh, It's not new. I've brought something new for you this morning. Out of this treasure of Scripture, he's saying, out of something old, I'm bringing you what is new in Jesus Christ. It's a commandment, and it says, love one another. Uh, Look at verse 8, my second point this morning. The example of love. The example of love. I want us to see this example of love. Last week we saw in verse 6. Look at verse 6 if you would. The one who says he abides in him, that is in Christ, ought himself to walk in the same way as he walked. So the one he says abides. And John liked to use this word. Remember even in his Gospels he used it many times. But here John is thinking of our union with Christ. He's thinking with our communion with Christ. He's thinking about our our fellowship with Christ. Um, And the word abide can be translated as as remain. It's the same word. Um, However you you translate it, he uses it over 40 times in, in the course of the Gospels. He uses it 25 times in the course of these epistles, these letters that he's writing. He loves this word. He loves this word abide. He loves this word remain. And John had thought over and over as to the consequences, as to the meaning, as to the depth of what it means to be in union with Christ, to have communion with Jesus. And one of the consequences of being in union with Jesus is that you will want to to walk like Jesus walked. John was called the, the the, the, the apostle of love, and he was the oldest prophet that that lived Um, sorry, the oldest apostle um, to have lived. Tradition tells us that John was the only apostle that wasn't martyred. So he lived an old life, and he was able to tell these Christians of the love of Jesus because he walked with Jesus. He touched Jesus. He was there with Jesus. He heard the words of Jesus. And all he wanted to talk about was the love of Jesus. It overflowed in his life. And he's saying, you want to be like Jesus. If you have communion with Jesus, you will want to be like him. So he's appealing to them on behalf of Christ. And he's saying to them, you've heard this. You've heard this. You know this. And of course, he's referring again to the Gospels. Um, This was not new to them. This was something that they had heard in the upper room on the night when Jesus was betrayed Remember, he had demonstrated his love for the disciples by taking a towel and a basin of water, and he washed the disciples' feet that night. And after that unforgettable object lesson, he drove the point home in John chapter 13. Look with me, if you would, in verse 14 and verse 15. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So here, Jesus was not instituting a a ceremonial 
foot washing service where everybody comes with clean feet and everybody washes their, their feet. He was saying something much more difficult here. He was saying something that's much more harder to put into practice. And that is simply that we who follow Jesus must put aside our rights and serve one another out of love. That's what Jesus was saying. It's easy to do something and then continue living in sin. Jesus was saying this is a heart attitude. We must be willing to love one another sacrificially. Put our rights aside. And obviously, in the same chapter, in John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now obviously those words of Jesus were behind John's words here in this epistle. When he's talking about the Old, Test, the old Commandment and he's talking about this, this new commandment, he remembered what Jesus had said, what Jesus had spoken. It could have been also that the heretics at this time, these false teachers who were against John, and remember they were claiming to have some new truth, and this play on words was there. And John counters them by saying that we don't need new truth. We need, what, we need the scriptures. We need what is written in the Bible. This old truth that his readers had learned that had been handed down to them by the, the prophets and the apostles. He wasn't asking them to rely on their experiences and some other new philosophies that, that were so popular at that time. And you think how relevant this is for us, even in our day and age. The most popular Christian TV shows are, are filled with thousands and thousands of people in, in stadium-like churches listening to new philosophies listening to some experiences. And John is saying, we need what is old, what has been tested. We need the Scriptures. So John is picking up that thought that, that he had written, obviously, in his Gospel. A word that he had remembered Jesus speaking in the upper room to the other disciples as well as himself. And now he's, he's inserting it here in the second chapter. And he says... Remember this old commandment that you have heard over and over. The command to love one another. Remember this. And that love is exemplified for us in Jesus Christ. So love like Jesus loved. There's nothing mystical about our Christian experience, folks. We don't have to reach another plane, another spiritual level in order to please God. We need to obey the Scriptures and live the Scriptures. That's simply what John is saying here. The proof of your Christianity, the proof of your salvation is in the pudding. Do you love your neighbors? John is saying whenever you think about love and what love means and when you want to define what love looks like, we need a template. We need a template to follow. We need a template to define for us what love looks like, especially in the body of Christ, especially in the church. And we look to Jesus. 
we look to Jesus. And John is saying, think of him who thought of it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and humbled himself and became obedient even to death on the cross. Our template, our example is Christ and his sacrificial love for the church, how he gave himself for the church, how he humbled himself, how he humbled himself to the point of death. This is a self-denying love. And John says, as believers, as Christians, we need to have this type of love. Now, John says that this is an old and a new commandment. And look at verse 8. He says, this is true in him and in you. It's true in him because the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest example of love in the history of the world. Of course it's true in him. Of course he left the splendor and the perfect holiness of heaven where he enjoyed unbroken fellowship with the Father. Remember he came to this corrupt, sin-infected world not as, a, not as a conquering king but as a lowly servant. This is the example of love. This is the template of love. He was obedient to death on the cross and died at the hands of sinful men. This is true in Jesus. This is true in Him. And He did this to save sinners. He did this to save us. We who deserve death. We who deserve His wrath. And this is supremely true. This commandment is true in Jesus Christ. But John also says that it is true in you. Notice that there in verse 8. This is true in you. How? How is this true in me? Well, if you are a believer, you are in Christ. Because you are now in Him. You are no longer part of the world, but you are part of Christ. So if it's true in Christ, and you claim to be a Christian who is Christ-like, it needs to be true in you as well. It's true in you because of our relationship with Christ. So Paul often describes our new relationship as being in Christ. He loved that phrase. But John uses the word abiding or remaining. It's the same point, the same principle that he's making here. So let me get specific here. Let me, let me move on to my third point this morning. The specifics of love. What will this look like for us as a church? What does this look like in the life of a believer? Well, look at verse 9 there. Take your Bibles, please, and look at verse 9 there. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. And does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So let me suggest, first of all, that we begin right here with the people around us, with the people next to us. Let me ask, do you even know the name of the person that 
you are sitting next to? Do you know the name of the person sitting behind you? We used to have this little ritual where every week we would have a, a meet and a greet time. And we stopped that last week because the elders felt it was becoming a distraction to our, to our time of worship. People were, were getting up and it was difficult to get them back and people were making themselves coffee and it became a, it became a bit of a, a social time, not a worship time. So we want to concentrate our time to worship the Lord. That's what we're here to do. But that doesn't mean you, you don't have to greet people, okay? <laughs> Let me encourage you. The coffee's still there after church. The biscuits are still there after church. Stay, meet, greet, get to know people. Get to know them. Get to know their struggles. Get to know their joys. Make sure that you, you know them. Be friendly. Um, be glad that you're here. <laughs> be glad that they're here, okay? Um, whatever way you do it, it doesn't matter, but we need to love one another. Visit people in the week. Be part of the home groups that we keep on telling you about. Love one another. These are means of grace for us to grow in our love for Christ by displaying the love of Christ amongst the members the Lord has put us with. But in verse 9, have a look there in verse 9. The phrase, the one who says. The one who says. I think this is a clue that John is giving us about the, the heretics that he had in his mind who were claiming to be spiritual, but yet on the outside they were arrogant. They were, they were self-centered. They were deceitful people. And they didn't love others in a, in a sacrificial way. In fact, these arrogant people, they were using people. They were using people to build a, a following for themselves. Rather than building people to follow Christ. They were selfish. They were self-centered. They had their own agendas. They weren't interested in the glory of God. They were interested in their own glory. They loved religion because it gave them a platform where they could be seen, where they could be noticed, where they could be honored. They were self-centered. And so John, John gets out his, his black and white paint here. And, and without mixing the paint into shades of gray, he shows that these false teachers were not true believers. They were false Christians because they did not love. They hated people. And the opposite of love is hate. They were in darkness. They were not in the light. We need to remember here the whole point of this message. If I can just summarize it in, in one sentence. That love is inseparable from the light. Love is inseparable from the light. And hate is inseparable from the darkness. You can't say you're in the light and not love your brother and sister in Christ. But we should not only use John's words to identify false teachers. And I think that's the other point that John is making here. We should use this test that he gives us and apply these to our own lives. We should honestly apply this to our own lives. You know, sadly, there are many that profess to know Jesus. But in their marriages and toward their children, they do not practice biblical love. 
You know, many Christian marriages and even in our day and age, the churches are torn apart because of these broken marriages. People who profess to be Christians who are not. You know, there's no difference in the divorce rate in the world that is in the church. There's no difference. The divorce rate is exactly the same at the moment. Difficult marriages. People are not sacrificially loving as they should. Christians. And they're not practicing biblical love. Many are professing to be Christian. But are not. Rather than acting in love, these people are attacking their spouses. They attack those that they don't agree with. Over different small issues. They are critical. They are selfish. They are unkind. But let me go a little deeper here this morning. Let's, let's meddle a little bit here. And that's exactly what John wants us to do with this text. He wants us to, to dig a little deeper. He says, love one another. But what does this text have to say about criticism? Let's get some guidelines here from John. John isn't saying love one another. He's not saying that there will never be disagreements. He's not saying that everything will be perfect. Of course there will be disagreements. There are disagreements in our church. There always will be disagreements amongst us. But how do we deal with these? Do we deal with this in love? Or is there hateful feelings as we, as we disagree? Now, I heard a pastor say once from the pulpit that most people in his part of the world will go home after a Sunday church service and enjoy a nice roast, roast lunch, maybe roast chicken or, or roast potatoes. But then he said people from his church would go home and have roasted pasta. They would have roasted pasta for lunch. Well, I hope that's not the case at New Life Church. But maybe, think about this for a moment, maybe you go home and you criticize people for no good reason. Criticize people in the church. And you attack them with your tongue. While your children are listening to you in the car. While your children are listening to you around the lunch table. And what John is saying here is to attack others with our tongue is really to attack Christ. Because we are one body in Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. We are to love them like we would love Christ. I read about an older man who was giving advice to a, to a young father. And he said to this young father, Let me urge you from the bottom of my heart, don't do to your child what I did to mine. And as he grew up, he listened to me criticize the minister he heard me criticize the members of the church year after year. And as a consequence, my boy wants nothing to do with church anymore. He wants nothing to do with the minister anymore. He's away from God because I was so critical of the church. There's consequences, isn't it? There's consequences. But what's really at stake here? And let me suggest to you what John might be saying here. What's really at stake here is that this is a symptom. This is a symptom of a heart issue, of a heart problem. John is saying there is something desperately wrong in your heart 
If you are living your life like, like this all the time, criticizing people, being unkind all of the time, gossiping behind people's backs, this is a symptom of your heart. There is a problem with your heart. Now, I've known Christians who have, who have, hold, who have held grudges for five, 10, 15 years. They refuse to forgive. They will hold these grudges. And they are miserable people. Miserable, unhappy. And, and they're not fun to be around with. I try to avoid them as much as I can. They're lonely people. And they will die in loneliness. Because this is like a cancer, isn't it? A cancer that will eat you up and the more bitter and more angry that you will get. And you even forget why you're angry. It's a cancer. It just takes you over. So let me ask a question this morning. What would New Life Church look like if we began to adopt what, what John is saying here? Well, let me just summarize 1 Corinthians 13. Okay? And that's what Paul does when he talks about love. Now, we would be a congregation where everybody is patient. We would be a congregation where everybody is kind. We would be a congregation where people are not envious, where people are not proud or, or rude, where people are not self-seeking, where people are, are not angry over nothing. We would be people who do not keep record of the wrongdoings that people do. We would be people who wouldn't delight in, in evil. We would be people who are rejoicing in the truth. We would be a people who protect and always trust and, and always hope and always persevere. This comes from 1 Corinthians 13. Of what love should look like in a church. But let me get even more personal. If I haven't offended everybody so far, I'm about to offend you now, okay? John doesn't want us to, to mince our words here. He wants us to meddle. He wants us to dig deep here. This is the apostle of love. Let's remember this. And John says, do you want to know how serious this is? If you don't love your brother and your sister, you are in darkness. This is how serious this is. You are an unbeliever. And there's a possibility, folks, here this morning. There's a sad possibility here this morning that there are unbelievers amongst us sitting next to you, sitting behind you. He talks about it in the church at Ephesus. And it's possible that that's true here this morning. You know, perhaps a, re a relationship that has gone sour and you can't think about that person any longer without thinking about negative thoughts and perhaps wishing harm upon them. And friend, this morning, do you see what John is saying? The problem is you. The problem is you. The problem is in your heart. The problem is your unwillingness to be reconciled. The problem is your unwillingness to humble yourself and say, I am sorry. The fragrance of Jesus doesn't, doesn't hang around you at all. There's a stink. 
There's a spiritual stink that hangs around you. And John says, you are in darkness. You're in darkness, my friend. You are in terrible darkness. If you hate your brother, you are still in the darkness. You are without Christ. And you don't know where you're going because you are spiritually blind. You may be telling yourself this morning that you're a Christian, that you're on your way to heaven, but you are blind. If you do not have love towards your brother and sister, and that includes your wife if she's a Christian husband, that includes your, your husband if he's a Christian wife. I'm just summarizing these verses. I'm not making these up. This comes straight from the text. And the plain meaning of verse 11 is that if you, if you live for yourself with no regard for others, with no sacrifice or unwillingness to be inconvenienced to meet others' needs, then you are not saved. You need to be saved. So John is not saying, he's not talking about occasional lapses into selfishness. And remember, he's not contradicting himself. He understands that we are all sinners and we all fall into sin. If we say we are without sin, we are liars. We call God a liar. And that's why we need to be confessing our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So he's not talking about falling into, into times of selfishness, lapsing into these periods. We all fail at times. But he's talking about a lifestyle here. He's talking about what characterizes you. When your children look at you, when your, when your wife looks at you, when your husband looks at you, when your friends look at you, what do they say about you? The person who lives for himself and is indifferent towards others, which, which, which is the definition of hatred, you're just indifferent towards others. And this person does not know where he's going because he's blind. He is spiritually blind. You know, I've often counseled people who profess to know Christ, especially with relationship problems, marriage problems. And their lives are, are marked by anger. And some of them are abusive, especially in their, in their speech towards their, their wives and husbands. And they are bitter. They are angry. They're not willing to forgive. And, and they're self-centered people. And invariably, they don't have a, a clue as to why they keep experiencing these broken relationships. They don't have a clue as to why their lives are so unhappy. They don't understand why their marriages are not joyful and what the problem is. It's always somebody else's fault. And their lives give no evidence at all that they have experienced the love of God. They are selfish people. They blindly live their lives as a broken person in a broken relationship. They don't practice biblical love, which of course is a true mark of a true Christian. Is there biblical love in your life, in your marriage? And John would come to us this morning and, and he would simply say, look to Jesus. Look to the form of the dying Son of God. Think of how much He loved you. You are obligated 
to love that person who is difficult in your life, who claims to be a Christian. We are all different. Jesus knew that about you when he died on the cross. With all of your sin, with all of your ugliness, he went to the cross. He went to the very end. The scriptures tell us, having loved his own that were in the world, he loved them to the very end. He didn't just start loving us and then give up on us like some failed marriages do. This is perfect love. This is perfect agape love. And this is what John is telling us. Love like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Loving one another is an essential mark of a true Christian. Let me read a a quote here by Alexander Strauch and pull some points from it. Alexander Strauch from a book called Leading with Love, he said, Love does not ignore or condone sin. Love covers a multitude of sins, not all sins. At times, love requires exposure and discipline of sin for the welfare of an individual as well as the church. Love knows when to cover and when to expose for the purpose of redemption and restoration. You know, don't be that wife who will not go and ask for help when her husband needs help. Don't be that husband who will not humble himself and go and ask for help when his wife needs help. The most unloving thing you can do is ignore the sin in your, in your spouse's life, in your friend's life. And that's why the Lord gives us these steps in Matthew 18, how we can restore a brother back to the Lord. And it often involves confrontation. It often involves messy situations. But it is worth it, folks. You're not just going to close your eyes and let your children run in the road without screaming and shouting at them. You're not just going to let your child play with scissors You're going to discipline them because you love them and care for them. The most unloving thing you can do is ignore the sin that is destroying your marriage, that is destroying your relationship. If you're not willing to go for help, be thankful when your spouse does. Be willing to find help. I love what he says there. Love knows when to cover, and when to expose for the purpose of redemption and restoration. That's what love is. We want to restore people back to Christ. We want them to honor Christ. None of us loves perfectly. We will fail at times, folks. But when we fail, we need to repent. And we need to ask forgiveness of the one that we have wronged the one that we have sinned against. It's a lifelong process of being conformed to the the image of Jesus Christ. But those who have met Christ at the cross will be growing in love for others all the time. Those who are isolated and those who don't want to be part of the, the body of Christ, 
need to be loved as well. We need to be reached. We need to have a love for the lost, especially those that are difficult to love. We need to love as Christ loved. And also note that love for others is a commandment. This is not a suggestion. This is, the Lord's not just saying, try this and see if it works. This is a commandment. And he's saying love is not a, a warm, gushy feeling that we have, a bubbly feeling. This command should give us hope because God's commandments are not burdensome. He tells us that in, in, in chapter 5 of this letter. God's Spirit gives us the grace. He gives us the power we need to obey His commands. And these commands are for our good. Remember, the Lord is not a, a taskmaster. He's not a schoolmaster beating us over the head, forcing us to keep these laws. He's a loving Father who knows what the consequences are. He knows of the pain. He knows of the, the fear. He knows of the guilt that comes when we break His commands. This command is for our good. Love one another. This is for our good. It's not a suggestion. Love like He loved. This biblical love is a, is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in in seeking the highest good of the ones that we love. It's easy to love those that are close to us. It's a little bit more difficult to love others that we, we don't really know well. It's easy to love the people in our home group that we meet every single week. But what about others that we haven't met, that we, that we haven't spoken to? This is the, the ultimate test. Biblical love is a self-sacrificing caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the ones that we love. And we can obey this commandment to love others. We can, because His commandments are not burdensome. So if you're thinking, but I don't love my mate anymore, I don't love my spouse anymore, I just don't like that, that difficult person, I don't want to be around them. The Bible is clear this morning. Obey God's commandments. Love them. Love him or love her. It's not optional for the person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's essential. We are obligated. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this test that you have put before us. Lord, I do pray that you would take these words, your spirit would open our eyes to the truth that is in them, and that, Lord, you would grant repentance where repentance is needed this morning. Lord, we just want to say thank you for loving us. I want to say thank you this morning for loving us while we were yet in our sin. Thank you, Lord, for this perfect love. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to love the way you loved. Help us to die to our selfish greeds, Lord. Help us to die to our selfish ambitions. Help us to die to our selfish pride. That we would humble ourselves and love the way that you want us to love. 
For the sake of your glory, Lord, and for the joy of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.